0: This is Women's Leadership Success Radio, episode number 24, From Bud to Boss, Career Development for Women. Today we will talk with Kevin Eikenberry, author of From Bud to Boss, and Sabrina Brahm. Take a few moments and listen to this interview that will share with you why your first promotion may have the most impact on your career and many things you can do to cut the learning curve and listen for a special offer at the end of the show.
1: Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance and advance your career. Brought to you by Women's Leadership and Career Expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO or entrepreneur. Join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line.
0: This is Sabrina Brahm with Women's Leadership Success, and today we're interviewing Kevin Eikenberry on being a bud to a supervisor. Kevin is a two-time best-selling author, speaker, consultant, and trainer, and all-around good guy. And Kevin is the chief potential officer of the Kevin Eikenberry Group a leading consulting company that has helped organizations, teams, and individuals reach their potential since 1993. Uh, his newest book is From Bud to Boss. Welcome, Kevin.
1: Thanks, Sabrina. I'm glad to be on with you. Thank you
0: so much. Thank you. Well, <clears throat> as you can tell, I've got a little bit of a cough and raspy voice here, but I wanted to keep this interview with you because I know you personally and know what a Wonderful human being you are, and what great work you do. So I'm really excited to talk to you today.
1: Well, I'm, I'm sorry that you don't that you have a raspy voice. It sounds fine for my end, and, <laughs> and, I, and I appreciate that, and I'm really glad to be with you.
0: Great. And the the book, I've read it. I've really enjoyed it, and I'm wondering what your inspiration was to write this book.
1: Well, a couple a couplefold really. Number one is that that I think that leadership is one of the toughest jobs. On the planet, it's an extremely complex thing. And when you're moving from having been never done it before to now doing it, and moving from doing something for the first time and, and doing it in a way that totally changes all of your working relationships makes it even more difficult. So we felt like we had some, my co-author Guy Harrison. I felt like we had something we could say that would that would help people in that situation or that were preparing for that situation. The other thing that we know Sabrina is that all too often in organizations, when people get that promotion, there isn't as much support as they might need. There may not be their, their organization might not have any training for them, or the training that they have is more about the policies and procedures and not about the leadership component of the work. Or they have a great program, but they only have it every so often. So you might be in the job for two, three, four, five months. Or longer before you get the chance to take the workshop. So we wanted to provide something to help make a difference for leaders. And really, that first leadership job is not only the most complex one, but it's a it's where well, there's tremendous leverage because you're impacting the front line of the organization in in most cases. So we felt like it was a, something where we could make a difference and help <coughs> more leaders be more effective, and therefore more organizations. Be more
0: effective. Well, I have to concur with you because I I do coaching and consulting and. Corporations, and when people get promoted, usually there there is no really good training on how to make that transition, especially the um, the transition from being a buddy to your friends, and all of a sudden you're the supervisor. And um, I'm wondering how you, what you suggest in making that shift, and maybe maybe even start out with what the shift entails. I'm not sure everybody really understands what happens when sure. all of a sudden you're promoted.
1: Right. Well, so there there are the obvious things, right? Like you might have a different office, or you might not have an office, or you your the title on your business card changes, and perhaps you get make more money. So those are those are the obvious things. And in fact, the fact that you're making more money probably is a bigger deal to those people that you that you used to be buddies with, right? And and that may be a perceived bigger deal than it really is. Uh-huh. So part of it is there are those tangible specific things but the, the real shift is is twofold it's the shift in the relationships and it's the shift in needed in your mindset so you go from being um one of the team a part of the team not necessarily or certainly not expected to think about the organization in, from a leadership perspective, where are we going, what are we trying to do, exactly, why is it all fit together. But when we become a leader, that's by definition part of our responsibility. So there's one of the things that shifts for us is a shift in mindset. Um, so there's the obvious shifts, then there's the shifts in our relationships, which is a big challenge, and then there's the shift in mindset, which is maybe the most subtle, but maybe in the end the most important. Um,
0: now. That's a really interesting, and I really have never read anything or heard anybody talk about making that shift. What what can a woman leader do? A woman that's being promoted do to uh, get that mind shift or begin to understand it?
1: Well, Sabrina, the obvious answer is read the book. That's the, <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: the
1: starting point. I mean, no, seriously. I mean, that's part of what we try to. We don't. We may not have even as I was saying it to you now. I'm not sure that we have said it quite that way in the book. But I think after you read the book, you get that idea that, you know, so, for example, the sections in the book that we, that we included were, were we felt the leadership skills that, that require the biggest shift or that maybe there's things you hadn't really had to think about before that now you do or you have to think about in very different ways. Like your perspective and needed perspective on collaboration and teamwork is quite different as a leader than as a member of the team. Uh-huh. Your perspective and your insight and your mindset related to change is necessarily different as a leader than as a member of the team. So those are two of the two of the skill areas we talk about in the book. Obviously, our need to communicate effectively changes. The importance of it changes drastically. Uh, it becomes even more important as a leader. So we tried to pick things that would help in that way. I think the big thing is. Having the awareness that you have to think differently is the first place is the first step. Right? Uh-huh. Certainly, there are things you can read, and you can get coaching and mentoring from people, and you can all those sorts of things. But it really starts with an awareness that in order for me to be successful in this new role, I must I I have to necessarily think about the world a little differently.
0: And that's what I mean by. Mindset. Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And in terms of of dealing with their former peers how do, how does a person gain respect and trust and credibility in this new role
1: good news is that hopefully if you truly were pals you know if you occasionally went out for a coffee or a beer or did things with your with families that there is hopefully already trust and respect so the shift is to the change in the relationship but there should there is almost always already a rela- existing relationship which should help us not hurt us as long as we acknowledge it and manage it successfully. So I think the big thing that I think we need to do in this regard as new leaders is we need to have a conversation with our former peers about the shift. And if we have close friends that we, used, that you, close friends that we are now supervising, we're going to do their performance evaluation, for example, um, a lot of times those people don't want to have that conversation. They say, well, you know, it's not that big a deal or I don't want to talk about it right now, they may be in a bit of denial, they may be worried about or, or not know how to have that conversation. So one of the key things for us is to have that conversation with our friends. Sit down and say, listen, I know the world is different now. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I know you don't either. But we need to talk about what. how can we, be, uh, how can we maintain our relationship, even if it has to shift. How can we maintain our relationship? What are the things we need to do or not do that we used to. Maybe we don't talk about certain things anymore, or we don't talk about certain things at work, or you don't press me if I tell you I can't talk about it. I'm trying to be coy or something, but that really I can't speak about it, right? So it's just about having a conversation with people to get really clear about how we're going to treat each other, what we're going to talk about and not talk about, or when we're going to talk about things or not talk about things. And just it's really, in the end, about getting clear, mutually agreed upon expectations for our relationship.
0: I think that's really great. One woman told me that what she realized was that she always confided in her best friend at work with what was going on or difficulties she was having, and that she realized she couldn't do that anymore. And
1: a perfect example, right? Because that's so. If, that, if that's you and I, I need to come to you and say, you know, Sabrina. You know, I've always confided in you, and I I just need you to know that now there are certain things I I don't think I can or should confide in you. And I don't want you to think worse of me, and I don't want you to think that I no longer like you or I no longer want to be your friend. But if you stop and think about it, there are some things that probably just don't make sense for us to talk about. It's not going to be fair to me, and it's probably not going to be fair to you either. And so that's the kind of... Con- it wouldn't be as one way as I just made it,
0: uh-huh.
1: oh, but that would be how I would sort of broach the subject or bring it up. Or.
0: And this particular woman, the thing she realized was that she really needed a sounding board and she no longer had one because she did, she didn't have any friends at that next level up.
1: Well, and so the other thing, so so that, that raises two points. One <coughs> is that when we get promoted, we have to spend time getting to know and be a part of the new team that we're a part of, and that's our new peer group. Um, that theme is very important, and we need to build that those relationships. So maybe that new confidant comes from your new peers, not the first day, right? But maybe that's where they come from. Or maybe you need to think about the fact that in some cases, your best confidant on some of these things might be outside of the workplace anyway.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Right, so maybe that's a better scenario than being an internal person anyway. You get a different perspective, perhaps. You, you don't put anyone in a difficult situation, et cetera. uh
0: mm-hmm. I, I like that advice. That's really great. And it's—I'll talk about the same woman again because, which the position she got put in, everyone that was in that department had been there longer than she'd worked at the company.
1: That happens. The Question: How do I deal with that? I deal with the fact that I'm the young. It may not be even. May not be the pure experience in the job. But like, I got asked last week by a gentleman who said, well, you know, I'm the project manager and I'm managing people and I'm 28, managing people that are 35 to their, in their 50s. How do I deal with that? I said, well, the first, th- so but here's my answer. My first answer is you were promoted for a reason. Someone sees that you can be successful or sees that in your future, so you need to own that. That does not mean that it's time to become cocky. It just means that you need to recognize that. The second thing that I would say is that, well, The second thing is that it's really important that you don't suddenly become seen as cocky and overconfident. You know, not only are you the youngest person, but perhaps other people on the team wanted the job, applied for the job, thought maybe they'd get the job. They were passed over for the job before you even arrived. Those things are going on. So what I think is really important that you do is say to people, listen, just because I have this new job doesn't mean I have all of the answers. Just because I have this job doesn't mean that um, that I'm going to be right all the time and you're not. So I think what you want to do is is bring up that subject. Don't let it be the the, uh, the subject that no one wants to talk about, but rather get it out in the open and talk about it. <laughs> and, and you'll build or continue to build respect and trust from that perspective. And tell people, of course, all of this only if you feel that it's true, is that, I'm going to need your help to be successful, and so that means I'm going to come and ask for your help and support and your advice um, in relationship to certain parts of what we're doing, because I'm on a, I'm going to be on a learning curve learning this job. Now, none of those things that I just said speak directly to the age thing. So if you think the age thing is exactly the, it's a big part of the point, you say that. You know what? I know you're looking at me thinking I'm the same age as your kids. So I just want to know that you know that is what it is. It doesn't mean that... I'm going to do my very best to be successful, and and uh, I've even told people in private, Sabrina, that you know what, uh, the 55-year-old person in the workplace would be ultra proud if their son or daughter, at age 28, got promoted. Why would you? Why do you need to be <coughs> resentful of the person, that's son or daughter's age, now being promoted? It just so it's, a, it's a, 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 that's a perspective shifter, and I'm not suggesting that I, as the young supervisor, should say that, but I think if we're noticing that in other parts of our organization, that might be a useful insight bear with somebody.
0: This kind of ties into the next question I was going to ask you. you, in, In your book, you say you must give up control to gain influence, and that's part of what you've been talking about. Is there something else that you would say about that?
1: Well, what I would say is that, you know, the reality is we have less control than we think we have. The only thing we can really control is our thoughts, our attitudes, our behaviors, our choices. And so when we try to gain more power or gain more control or gain greater influence, um, it's in the trying to do it, um, we're probably not going to succeed. And if we're really trying to do it. We're probably thinking we can achieve something that's not even possible. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't make anyone do anything, right? I can only influence them or help them make a different choice. On the other hand, that when we when we become more influential, an extraordinary amount of power, right? Right. So what I'm saying is that it comes as a byproduct of the things that we do rather than us trying to achieve it.
0: Right. And what I, what I, what I'm hearing you say is be authentic speak your truth say say what you need to say to the people and ask for their their help in you're being successful is that correct
1: yeah, and, and get them involved in it right so it's just like so you know I, I want to hear what you guys are thinking about the fact that I got promoted. What You know, what concerns do you have about that? Or what are you worried about about me in this role? Or what advice do you have for me? Or, you know, all those sorts of things. So engage people in a conversation. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's
0: very good. You you also talk about the power of expectations. Could you explain to us what you mean by that?
1: Well, there are, there are two sets of expectations. There are, well, I'll say three things. First of all, and it goes back to what we said earlier, it's pretty hard to have exceptional performance and to have the perception the perce, perception of exceptional performance unless both parties have a clear understanding about what's expected. So what what are the outputs that that you're responsible for? And if you don't know them, it's pretty hard to be held accountable for them. And if you don't know them, um, you know you may get coaching that says you should be doing it, but how can you be doing it if you don't know? It? That's the first part. The other two things I would say about expectations are that how, as leaders, the expectations that we have of our team has a lot to do with their performance. Like people can tell when you believe in them, when people can tell when they, you have high expectations of them, and it helps them grow. And, it, and, and, and all of us, if you stop and think, you can think of someone in your life that you know believed in you or does believe in you. Think about your performance, you work harder, do a little bit more, pay a little more attention, are a little more focused, whenever it is that you're doing things in relationship to them because you don't want to let them down. Mm-hmm. So our expectations of others are extraordinarily important, as are our self-expectations. So uh, that would be the two the two other things that I would say about that.
0: And it, it's also helpful to have uh, somebody at your level or above that has a good expectations of you. Yeah,
1: absolutely true. <laughs> and, and, again, not in our control. No. Um, what you know, what you expect out of this interview is not in my control. I can hopefully influence it, but what exactly you're thinking about me right now, I, I, I not only do I not know it, but I can't control it. And so I, I can do things like hopefully be engaging and not stumble on my words and do things that make you feel better about me having been on your show, which I'm very grateful to be on, by the way. Thank the you. The other thing that about that that I would say is that. Um, we need to understand what our peers and what our boss expects of us. We can't just assume it because we know what our our job description says. Uh-huh. Right? It, it's more than just that. So it's about having a conversation to understand what those are, for sure.
0: So having those conversations, whether it's with your direct reports or the people that you work for, how am I doing?
1: Or what do you need from me or what does success look like for you? All of those kinds of questions, right? Great. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: How about networking and improving relationships? What would you suggest there?
1: Well, we need to improve. Relationships are one of the most important things to leadership, right? So, Right. Um, it, it needs to be one of the things that we focus on. Now, some people, by our nature, by our personality, um, we may be more naturally attuned to thinking about relationships. So that might... Um, not be as seem like such as big of a stretch for us as it would be for some other people. But, but regardless of our sort of personal bias or our personal comforts, um, the reality is that for the most part the relationship building parts of our job, the networking parts of our job, say within our organization or whatever, are are not typically uh they're not typically the most urgent matters on our busy schedules. And so typically we end up working on the urgent not the important and I would put leader, I would put relationships in the important area um and when we do, and when we don't invest the time in building them oftentimes we have to, they become urgent because they're not working very well right we have conflict or issues or challenges or misunderstandings
0: so what's so, a good way to start that Kevin because I'll have people tell me things like well I really don't have anything to say to them
1: well you don't have to have anything to say to them all of us, all of us want to talk about ourselves. So you don't have to say anything. You ask them a question, and it may be as simple as to start with, a, "So, how was your weekend?" or "What did you do this weekend?" Um, or it might be. You know, you notice something in their workspace or uh, in their on their desk about their family, so you ask them a question about their family, or you heard a rumor that they are a big fan of a certain sports team, or you know that they went to a certain university, so you ask a question about something that you think they're probably interested in, and you begin to engage them in conversation. One of my favorite all-time stories comes from Dale Carnegie's book How to Win Friends and Influence People, and the story goes like this: Carnegie was invited to a dinner party, and he was placed at a table next to this woman who he did not know, and he decided that his what he was going to do, almost as an experiment, during the course of this dinner, is he was going to say as little about himself as he could. He was going to ask more questions about the other person and really be genuinely interested in the other person, to be interested rather than interesting. And um, at the end of the evening, the, his seat mate, if you will. Says to the host as she's leaving and in his earshot, "Thank you for sitting next to me next to Mr. Carnegie. He's the most brilliant conversationalist I ever met." <laughs> the point of his story is, I didn't say much of anything. You know what? Most of us want our own voice. We like to talk about things that we're interested in. So I don't have to have something to say to them.
0: I can uh-huh. have, have
1: questions to them and then be present and listen.
0: And that's that's great. And and you're. You're so skilled, and what you're saying is so fantastic. People really need to get this book, which is uh, From Bud to Supervisor. How can they get it?
1: Yeah, so people can get a copy of the book, From to (laughs) Boss. The subtitle is Secrets to a Successful Transition to Leadership, and they can go to Amazon or anywhere they want to go, certainly, Uh, again, From Bud to Boss, or they can go to... From bud2toboss.com, t-o, and that's the website for the book. And you can read an excerpt or two, and you can learn more about what we've been doing with the book. And you can get links to buy your book there. And the other thing that you can do is learn about our community, where we have an opportunity for people to get more engaged in in a complimentary way with content from both Guy and I, video and other kind of content, and connected to other smart writers that we know and want to make available to you. And so from there. From the from budtoboss.com, you can also get a link to, or you can go directly to budtobosscommunity.com. So those are two places, Sabrina, that people can go to get great content.